Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Today, we'll be sipping on some very special coffee. This coffee comes from Rise, R-Y-Z-E. Uh, Rise Superfoods is actually a mushroom blend coffee. Really cool. Actually, really good, too. You would have really never figured out the difference. Yeah, and I don't fuck with mushrooms, and I like it, so that's how you know. Yeah, it has, like, all the anti-stuff, too. It's, like, anti-inflammatories, antioxidants, adeptogens, all the other gins. (laughs) Um, It's really cool. It has things in it for stamina, focus, stress, immunity, digestion, inflammation. All of which we need right now. All of the goods. And if you guys want to get your hands on some, you just go to risesuperfoods.com and you can actually use our code. It's just COC15 for 15% off your first purchase. Just wanted to thank you guys so much for continuing to support our podcast. It's always really fun to, you know, get your messages and comments saying how much you like our episodes. We really appreciate it. So we're just going to keep on doing it, giving you the goods because you are asking for them. Yeah. And please give us episode recommendations because, you know, we have some ideas, but I want to hear what you guys want to hear. And maybe there's something that we don't know about. Yeah. I really like when somebody comes up to me and has like a case that I've never heard of or know very little about and they're like super pumped up about it. So yeah, if you want to submit a case, go to our website, which is crimeoncaffeine.com and you can submit a case. Yeah. Or if you want to just like DM us on Instagram or Twitter, all of our handles are at crimeoncaffeine. Okay, guys, we have some exciting news here. Just a little update for you guys on the Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell case that's been going on. They have finally been indicted on first-degree murder charges for the deaths of Tylee, JJ, and Tammy. Oh, oh, Mm -hmm. okay. All three. We got a three. Yep. So everything that we said in that episode was true. They were pushing everything off. They wouldn't release any details about um, Tammy's autopsy because they wanted to get them for murder. So Hell yeah. Hell yeah. This announcement came out this afternoon as of Tuesday, May 25th. Um, Today also would be JJ's ninth birthday. Here are all of the charges. They were indicted on the charge of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and grand theft by deception for Tylee. The charge of first-degree murder for Tylee, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and grand theft by deception for JJ, first-degree murder for JJ, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder for Tammy, first-degree murder for Tammy. That one's just Chad getting charged with that, but Lori was in the conspiracy to commit first-degree murder charge with him. And then Lori was also indicted on the charge of grand theft related to Social Security survivor benefits over $1,000. That money was allocated for the care of Tylee and JJ. This is so much. (laughs) Yeah. And Chad was indicted on the charge of insurance fraud related to the life insurance policy he had on Tammy. They have so much on them. Oh, well, there was also another life insurance policy he had on her. So he was indicted on a charge for insurance fraud on that as well. Oh, Yeah, so with the murder charges, the penalty can range from life in prison without parole all the way to the death penalty. And death on death penalty. (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) No, no, it's fine. I don't give a 
fuck about them. I can really say, don't. You can say I whatever you want. They're fuck. horrible people. And I'm glad that justice is finally being served. I'm really curious to see what Lori has to say about all of this, like throughout the trial and everything. What do you mean? Her body's worth a million. <laughs> the cutest girl on death row. So tomorrow, Wednesday, May 26th, Chad is going to have his first court appearance with all these new charges. That's going to be at 11. And then Lori's going to appear at 1130. This is all going to be on Zoom. So since these are the only details that we have, we'll do kind of like a bigger update, like a little five minute episode or something when there's more information. Follow us on everything. It's just crime on caffeine. And we will update you guys as soon as we know more. All right. So this week we are going to give you a man who, a man of many nicknames in this household. (laughs) We like to refer to him as Herb, Herbington, Herb Butter, anything else that has to do with garlic and herbs. Garlic and herb, you know, Herb Crusted Panko. (laughs) (laughs) He's an Herb Crusted Chicken. (laughs) If you didn't get it by that. We are going to be going over the serial killer known as Herb Baumeister. I feel like not a lot of people know about him, but I feel like more people should. Yeah, he was actually a very like prolific serial killer that didn't get a whole lot of hype and not like a, a Bundy or a Gacy or anything like that. What years was he active? Uh, mid-80s and 90s, like to 90s. Okay. So, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, and, I mean, he killed a lot of people. So, let's talk about him. Herb and his wife, Julie, whom he met in college, lived a good old down-home suburban lifestyle on an 18-acre estate in a five-bedroom, big old house, mm-hmm. indoor pool, big ball and home that they actually referred to as Fox Hollow Farms. Sounds pretty picturesque, right? Where is this? This is in Indiana. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, some shit has gone down in that state. Sure has. <laughs> so it sounded very picturesque, but people say that he was living some kind of a double life. Oh, you don't say. Oh, I do say. <laughs> the couple opened up two local thrift stores known as Save-A-Lot, which they're like still around today, um, around 1988, and kept the facade of a happy family with seemingly no issues, even though it was very clear that they were not openly affectionate towards one another. They had three children during their 25 years of marriage, again, which is, like, very normal. Something that's not so normal. (laughs) Julie, his wife, mentioned that they had only had sex five or six times during their entire Marriage. What? Entire marriage. 25 years. Jumps off of cliff. They had three kids. Wow. So it's a very fertile woman. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. So after I read that, I was like, this man is kind of a little off, right? Like, yeah, I'm very confused. Why? I mean, men are men. Are men. men are I'll, men. Just, I'll just say that. So what was he? So he sure is off. If he's not getting it from you, he's getting it somewhere else. Oh, we will get into that, my friend. Mm. So let's get into herb as a child. My little herb butter, my herbling potato, whatever he may be. Let's get into him as a child. Herb was just like any other kid until puberty got involved. There was a noticeable shift in the way he was acting. He went from a sweet, happy, normal kid of being fascinated or to being fascinated with death 
ill-mannered pranks, and he had very crude language that he spoke with after that. Uh, For example, one day he was at school. He was in class. He decided he was going to yell out that he (laughs) wondered what pee would taste like. What? (laughs) He yelled out that he wondered what pee would taste like, and then he chased other male classmates around asking for a drink. Yeah. Go on. Like, I'm going to throw up and die. I'm sorry. So they were just, like, chilling in social studies, and he just goes, I wonder what pee tastes like. Yeah, literally, like, I wonder what pee tastes like. Starts chasing around the kids, asking for a drink. (gasps) What the fuck? He also... Nah, they should have known right then and there. Oh, not done. He also peed on a teacher's desk (gasps) and left a dead bird on a teacher's desk. Oh, my God. So clearly... We will see this. Two out of, a, that's two out of three of the triad right there. Yeah, he. it's going in a certain direction here. We mm-hmm. all know that animal cruelty is a big no-no, red light, do not pass go or collect $200. Like, this is not, this is a sign. Luckily, the urinating. Yeah. Don't tell me he's about to start some fires. <laughs> he's not. Aww. He actually enjoyed playing with dead birds or dead animals a lot squeezing them to feel the power of their bones crushing in his grasp. Yeah, I know. It's really graphic, but apparently that... Oh, God. It's hard to say. Apparently it aroused him so much that, like... Yeah, I have to move on from it. It's gross. So he... John Wayne Gacy vibes. Yeah, really gross. Even just, like, writing it and reading it, I was like, I gotta go. (laughs) If you uh, could guess... Herb was actually, soon after, diagnosed with schizophrenia after his father secretly brought him in for testing kind of around his teenage years. He never received treatment for it. What? Many documents say that it is confirmed that he was diagnosed, but he never received treatment. Why? It's good that his dad brought him in for... His dad was an anesthesiologist. He was a doctor. He clearly could see that there was something wrong with his kid, so he did bring his kid in for testing. But then you didn't do anything about it. Yeah. I don't get that. But, like, I feel like in all these cases where the serial killers have, like, the clear signs, like, they never do anything about it. Yes. So now we know that Mr. Airbutter has schizophrenia. Um, six months after his marriage to Jewelry. Jewelry? Jewelry. <laughs> six months after his marriage to Julie. Herb's father had him committed to a psychiatric hospital where he spent nearly two months. Julie didn't object. She said that... Herb was hurting and needed help. In 1985, Herb was accused of committing a hit and run while drinking and driving. In 1986, he was charged with auto theft and conspiracy to commit theft. Before starting the Save-A-Lot thrift store chain, Herb held a variety of jobs where his strong work ethic clashed with occasional fits of anger and bizarre behavior. I don't know. I think... This is just what kind of leads to the occurrences that we're about to cover. In the early 90s, starting around May of 1993, men began to, you know, seemingly vanish without a trace after nights spent at local gay bars. In the course of two years, about 10, maybe more men were reported missing and never found. Finally, we get to Roger Goodlett. Roger Goodlett would have been all forgotten if it wasn't for his friend, Tony. I later learned that Tony's not actually this guy's name. His, they called him Tony Harris. 
but that was just a pseudonym, so you could protect his privacy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so Tony was wondering, where the hell did my friend go? And Roger's family wasn't being super involved in the efforts to find Tony, to find Roger, so... Tony decided to create posters and pin them up around town as well as like the gay bars that they always used to go to together so that he could make other people more aware of kind of not only just that Roger was missing, but like the whole situation, like people are going missing one night, super creepy. Tony noticed kind of like a more reserved kind of weird man staring blankly at a poster that he pinned up in one of the gay bars. And he was really uneasy about the way this guy was just, like, ogling at the poster and decided he was going to approach him. Not what I would have no, done. No, probably not. <laughs> Especially if it was, like, somebody being creepy. I would have been like, um, big no. So this was a very brave move for Tony, if you ask me. The man introduced himself as Brian Smart. They got to talking, and Tony decided to leave with Brian. This is the part where I was kind of, like, shaking my head. Like, are you kidding me? You just posted all these posters about your friend who's gone missing and now you're leaving with this guy that was like creeping you out so yeah tony left with this brian smart character and after traveling down this like super dark windy road they reached a place called fox hollow farms oh god oh my god see like i can't anybody can say that they're like some no i'm so glad that we don't ever have to do this shit like anyone can say anything Mm -hmm. i would never just brian was really quick to mention that this was his boss's house oh Mm -hmm. they decided to go into the indoor swimming pool area which creepy enough had wait 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 mannequins everywhere they were all in like really strange positions and tony was like what like what like what is this he like freaked out and brian kept telling him that it was just his boss's house that he was into some strange things and so tony apparently like believed him since after the explanation of the mannequins they started engaging in some sexual activities. Wait, I'm going to interrupt you, and I'm going to do that a lot because I have a lot of questions always. But the, obviously, these mannequins were at his house where his family lived. Did they go in this indoor pool? Did they see these fucking weird ass mannequins? Like, what? Honestly, I never found anything on that, and I looked into it because I had the same question. I'm like, yeah. this is like a weird thing to. It's very weird. I need to know more about the mannequins. I couldn't find like a lot of information about these mannequins, but yes, they are. Are engaging in some sexual activities that involve some autoerotic asphyxiation, or as Tony referred to it as a strangling fetish thing. Oh, strang- he said strangling, not not just like choking, like haha, Mm-mm. strangling. Mm-hmm. Brian decided to tell Tony that he really enjoys taking people to the point of almost dying because. He likes to see their eyes bulge and their lips crack. As you can imagine, this is when Tony realizes, holy shit, this is the guy that killed Roger. Oh my god. So he straight up just confronts Brian. He's like, I know that you're the one who did this. And I know you're the one who's behind all the disappearances of the men. And Brian starts laughing. And he says in a laughing tone that he's gotten away with it before. And no one's going to believe Tony. So this guy literally just told Tony, like, yeah, I did. And I've gotten away with it. And just because you run and go tell the police does not mean they're going to believe you. Well, I think everyone would be shocked to hear that Brian then did not kill Tony. And that, my friends, was his first mistake. 
That's surprising. Yes. Tony immediately ran to authorities, letting them know there's a man strangling people at a farm in Hamilton County. The police could not find any homes under the name Brian Smart, of course, and they couldn't find the property that Tony just kept describing. This is what I found, like, really weird. Brian kept contacting Tony all the time from different pay phones and devices that weren't traceable. Super weird. He just, oh, like, he was toying with it. Yeah. He's, he's a narcissist. He's he was like, mm, I'm going to get away with this. <laughs> so, unfortunately, since these were, like, pay phones and things, like, he couldn't, people couldn't get the conversations that Brian would have where he would literally straight up confess to killing people. So how we did find out this man's name was not Brian, obviously. One lucky day in November of 1995, Tony saw Brian walking out of a bar, followed him and got his license plate number, which authorities then identified as belonging to one urban garlic Baumeister. (laughs) Urban garlic. (laughs) Or, as most people know him, just herb. Good for you, Tony. Yeah, he done did that. Mm -hmm. He sure did. So, now everybody can come welcome Detective Mary Wilson of the Indianapolis Police Department. She is the leading lady that first pays a visit to Herb at one of his local Save-A-Lot thrift stores. She later explained on a TV show called American Justice that Herb was visibly unwell and kind of shook up by the surprise visit. Once she presented him with evidence that kind of put him in the places around the times of many different disappearances, he started to freaking panic. The detective asked Herb if she could search his property, but obviously he said no. This is when she decided to approach Herb's wife, Julie. Jury. Jury, as I keep saying. (laughs) At first, since they weren't like 100% positive that Herb was the person who committed these crimes, Detective Wilson was really skeptical about approaching Julie to ask her if they could search a property because obviously she would have to tell Julie the who, what, when, where, why of it all, and then you know, they could be wrong. Like Mm -hmm. they would have just told his wife that he just murdered a bunch of people and they didn't have that evidence. Julie acted just about as you would expect. She never thought her husband could do such crimes and frankly was kind of like angry and appalled that they would say those things about him. Julie eventually said yes to them searching the property, but they had to provide a warrant and obviously, and she'd personally take them kind of like a, like a guided tour. Hi, I'm Julie and I'll be your tour guide this evening. <laughs> Since Detective Wilson didn't actually have enough evidence, they couldn't get a warrant. All they had was like a story and some right. circumstantial evidence. This is when I sing in the name of Celine Dion. It's all coming back, it's all coming back to me now. Okay, Julie had her attorney reach out to Detective Wilson with some information about her and Herb's marriage and businesses after they started to fail. She had some things to clear out and definitely thought that the information she had could, you know, better uncover the situation. Okay, I'm ready for it. All right, hold on to your butts, my friends, because it's about to get real weird. (laughs) Julie remembered that her son, Eric, the middle of her three children, approached her in the house one day with a human skull from their backyard. Oh, she she just remembered this this little little tidbit because it's just such a normal everyday thing. She forgot well, about her, it. You know, her marriage is ending. Her businesses are you know failing. She's like, 
thinking so clearly. Remember that human skull that Eric found? Hmm. When he brought it back to her, she was like flabbergasted and decided to go check out the area to see if there was anything else there. And boy, was there. There were more bones. Enough bones, in fact, to make up an entire human skeleton. Herb obviously made up a lie about them being like skellies from his father's medical school. Oh one my of those, God. like, yeah, like one of those like Ew. anatomical skeleton remains. You know, doesn't make it any better because, as I said, his dad was an anesthesiologist. Right, but that doesn't make sense. He said that his dad that he decided to bury those. Because they were just taking too much room. But the Baumeister family had only bought that property a few years before. So, like, why would I? Uh, Yeah. Okay. Well, why did she not think of that? I think she was just, like, shook up. She was like, "Mm, okay, whatever. They were the... No, that would make me more... That would make me think about it more. I'm not, Julie. I don't know. Thankfully, on June 24th, 1996, while Herb was out of town, Julie had the authorities come search the lot. Now that Detective Wilson had the information, she was able to conduct her search. Just as you'd imagine, where there's one skull, there are more skull. The detective found bones everywhere. More than 5,000 bone fragments, some sources say 5,500 bone fragments, were recovered from the lot. While reading an article on the lineup, it was described as a bomb going off in a people factory. Oh my god. Yeah, it was really bad. Sorry, I'm doing math. That's approximately 24 bodies. 24 bodies. There you go. So the larger bones were located kind of further back on the property, and the smaller bones were actually literally just like right behind the house, and they looked really burned. So he had obviously tried to burn these bones. According to Psychology Today in an article about serial killers and their playing fields, they even found a pair of rusty handcuffs buried with the bones, which is really gross, and I hate it. Poor Julie started to just go through it with Herb after these discoveries. When the detective called to let Julie and Herb know what was found on the property, Herb just up and left. He took his son Eric to his mother's lake house, which they often went to during the summers with his other two daughters, Marnie and Emily, and he emptied out one of their bank accounts and just like, whoop. We're going to the lake house. Julie was like, no, sir, and got custody papers drawn up before the news of Herb and all the bones hit the media. Herb handed his son over to authorities instead of handing him over to Julie, and he just ended up fleeing to Canada. He said, okay, here's my son. I'm going to Canada. They were just like, all right, bye. Well, he wasn't arrested. Why? So Herb was not arrested. You heard that correctly. Herb Butter was not arrested when this went down because the bodies were found in another jurisdiction and Detective Wilson went from leading the case to assisting on the case. Hamilton County detained Herb for a small amount of time because they weren't quite sure what they had. You had bones, lots of bones, bones of a lot of people. You had bones. You had a lot of bones. Wait, yeah, what? what the is fact there that to be you, sure about? Yeah, the fact that you had bones and there were a lot of people missing, you didn't, you're just not quite sure I, what I, you had. I'd say, yeah, that that's, that's something to have. Mm-hmm. Not only that, it came out that the remains of 11 men were found on this property. Eight of them were actually identified. And of course, one of them was the man we spoke about at the beginning of the story, Roger Goodlett. It's said that Herb could have killed up to 27 men, although Tony was told by Herb himself that it was closer to 50. 
Oh. He only killed during the spring and summer months, which I found very interesting, and his victims were sometimes as young as teens. Remember that lake house I just mentioned like a little bit ago? Yeah. Well, when the family would go to the lake house during the summer, Herb would specifically stay back to, quote unquote, keep an eye on their business, when in all reality, he stayed behind during the week to frequent those gay bars and pick up young men that we now know that he would later kill. And I now understand why he and his wife only had sex five or six times in 25 years. Yeah. He was getting it somewhere else. He sure was. We have Herb. Depressed, mentally unstable, divorced with a failing business, and on the run from authorities. Herb Baumeister shot himself in the head, leaving behind a three-page suicide letter that did not mention one thing about the bodies on the farm. What the fuck did he say then? Because I don't really care to read. Honestly? Like, it was all just like, boo-hoo, failing, la-da-da. And then it was super weird. Like, at the end of it, he literally was like, all right, well, I'm just going to, like, make a PB&J and, like, go to bed. Mentioned making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in his three-page suicide letter. Me. Like, yeah. Like, I don't understand him whatsoever. His body was discovered on July 3rd, laying just outside of his vehicle in Pinery Provincial Park, which is in Canada. So police think that Herb could have been the infamous I-70 Strangler, which if you're not familiar with this unsolved mystery, unsolved case, is a man who strangled and killed nine people in the late, not really in the late, in like the mid-1980s to 1990s on, obviously, the stretch of I-70, which is a highway. This connection comes from a witness identifying a photo of Herb Baumeister as the man who left an Indianapolis nightclub with Michael Riley in 1983. The body of Riley was found in a nearby stream on the I-70 route. Again, this was like one of nine bodies that were discovered on the route, all strangled and all dumped either half naked or fully naked in shallow areas on the stream along I-70. The authorities went as far as interviewing Julie about this connection in hopes, she, you know, she would be able to lead them to solve this case. According to the lineup, Julie was later quoted saying, he would push the mower and I would trim the bushes. Yet, if the police are correct and Herb Baumeister is the I-70 strangler, he had a sinister and deadly secret life that he was hiding from his family, stretching back over a decade. Julie provided plenty of receipts showing that Baumeister traveled I-70 during the times that the bodies were found along the interstate. She told authorities that her husband made, I mean, hundreds of trips to Ohio using I-70 for, you know, business operations with the mm-hmm. Save-A-Lot stuff. Bodies had stopped appearing beside the highway about the time that Herb moved to Fox Hollow. It's all coming together. Uh, uh, because he finally had plenty of land to hide them on. At least that's what people thought. This all sounds very picturesque in finding a known serial killer to also fit the profile of an unsolved series of murders. But in a very thought-out paragraph on um, Inside Hook, Steve Huff wrote, I'll just read the paragraph because it was very well worded. Most of the victims were women, and their murders were cold-blooded executions. Baumeister was a sexually motivated serial killer who targeted gay men. He buried bodies of some of his victims on his property. He eventually committed suicide. 
Baumeister may have killed 27 men across states, two states. The I-70 killer's murders had no obvious sexual element, and it might support the idea he committed those murders, too. I just don't see him straying from his victim type, especially if it's sexually motivated. You're not going to... A hundred percent. That's why I wanted to bring this up because a lot of people really did think that it was a connection and that people, we found him. It it makes sense. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't have had any sexual interest in the women. Now we can get into the profile of Mr. Herb. Obviously we already know who did it. It was Herb. This is Herb. He's our serial killer. I hate when they die so that you can't get all the answers. I know. And honestly, like, I don't know if it's because he's not super well-known or what, but there was not... I typed in psychological profile of mm-hmm. Herb Baumeister. Nothing. Oh, yeah. Cause, and it's like, you said he had a pretty normal childhood, though. It's just the, all that stuff started happening. Yeah, so. his childhood, people said, was normal. And then he hit puberty and, like, all hell broke loose. So more nature than nurture. nurture. I personally would classify him as a sexual serial killer asphyxiation situation so i started to look up profiles of sexual serial killers the theodore bundy (laughs) theodore (laughs) according to science direct jonathan james and um i think this man's name is like french af was like jean paulet but i think it's jean (laughs) belay That's how I'm going to say it. Said characteristics of different types of sexual murderers are identified. Sexuality and sadism are the key features of sexual serial murderers. They are socially isolated, rejected, and humiliated and take refuge in compulsion, masturbation. They say that this is a compensation for the poverty of their emotional, relation, relational, and sexual lives. In a document that I actually found on the internet about sexual serial killers by Dr. Mark Carrick, psychological Dr. Don Fisher, and Margaret Cohut, who had like a lot of titles and I can't name them all. She's just like, she good at what she do, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> it is claimed that there are two themes or categories that always apply. So we can go over those. Uh, one of them is dissociation and the other is called the ego state phenomena. Um, if you don't know, dissociation refers to a sense of detaching emotionally from a current reality while also maintaining contact with external reality. Dissociative behavior can take the form of deviant fantasies. I bring this up because Herb performed the choking or asphyxiation with his sexual partners and victims because he never did these things with his wife. Obviously, she would have freaking said something. (laughs) Another thing I'd like to bring up are, um, it's from the same document. It's called Schizoid Themes. I don't think I mentioned the name of the document. Actually, I'll just go over that right now. Sexual Murder and Sexual Serial Killers Towards a Mind-Body Developmental Theory. That's what it's called. So we're aware that Herb was diagnosed as a schizophrenic and untreated. Apparently, sexual serial killers have significant intimacy defects And most of them are able to form a connected relationship. They may prefer to remain isolated and alienated from others, which we said we saw in his early years. The fact that he bought a farm near nobody, literally isolated, alienated, so that he could bring victims to the pool house that was 
also isolated from everyone else in the rest of his home. I feel like it's very similar to the Unabomber. He preferred to have no neighbors as well. So that is a key theme. This theme also consists of avoiding intimate relationships. As we remember from the beginning of this episode, we heard that Herb literally only had sex with his wife maybe six times in the span of 25 years of marriage. This is also another theme that very clearly fits Herb. Um, again, I could not find like a full psychological profile on Herb Baumeister, but I feel like the information I did find about sexual serial killers, like really hit Mm -hmm. the nail on the head. Oh yeah. And, um, yeah, it freaks me out. Mm -hmm. And that is Herb. That's Herb Baumeister. Um, now you guys know about him because nobody knows about him and I want more people to know about him so that we can get more information and get more coverage on the things that he did. He's a terrible human. Obviously he killed 20 to 50 people that we may or may not know of. How many people did like Ted Bundy kill in total? I don't think he admitted like the actual amount until up till the end but i think it was like yeah 30 he confessed to 30 but the total's still unconfirmed it was at least 36 that's what i'm saying though like jeffrey Dahmer killed 17 people and he's like way better known oh well that's because he's fucking and i get that and he's like fudged in the head fudged in the head But, like, this man killed so many people, and, like, I really do feel like it's not a known thing. Well, you also have to think what other serial killers were after at this time, because the 80s was popping with killers. Popping. Slasher film realness. Yeah, so if there was somebody else that was more well-known. Yeah. Which we did look up, and, like, a lot of people who were active in this time. Yeah. Infamous serial killers came out around this time. The 70s and 80s were just crawling. We hope you enjoyed listening to Herbert, Herbert, Herbington, Baumeister. That's all she wrote. That's all. No, literally. That's all she wrote. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Make sure you go follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, maybe rate us five stars, maybe follow us on all our social media. It's just crime on caffeine. <laughs> maybe post this to your stories. I don't know. Get yeah, a little just, crazy. but Yeah, get a little crazy with it. Share mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. And uh, next week... I'm going to do a case, and I'm not telling Allison what it is. And yeah, um, it's really unfair. Honestly, she she titled it Untitled Document. <laughs> I had I had a plan for where I was going. I was going to do another... You, you thought you knew what I was going to do, and then I thought of this case, and I just had to throw it in the mix. I really have no freaking clue <laughs> You're what's happening. Like, what the fuck? So get excited, and tune in next week for... Erica's secret episode. <laughs>